Oh, man. Thank you for worshiping this morning and being present. Um, We're going to be in the book of John this morning, uh, chapter 1. But we're uh, wrapping up our our series called Branded. Week 1, we talked about what what branded means and that uh, that word Christian that seems to be so... uh, ambivalent today. It kind of means anything and everything. You can kind of do anything and everything and believe anything and everything and still be called a Christian. And, and yet Christian was actually a word, a derogatory word used by outsiders, never the insiders, to describe them. And, and yet Jesus and uh, all the apostles of the New Testament used a different word, word called disciple. Uh, and that's kind of scary because we, we everybody really knows what that means. But we let off with a premise, which is that if, if we don't lead with love in our lives, in our churches, in our lifestyle, then we lose. We, we never go forward without leading with love. And so uh, I just want to remind you of that uh, scripture. That's John 13. That's not where we're going to be this morning, but I just want to remind you. John 13, 34, 35, look at this. New commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you're my disciples. And he uses that word on the basis of how we love, right? If you have love for one another. But here's what I want us to begin to think about. If you want to know what Jesus meant when he said to love one another, watch how Jesus loved. If you want to know what Jesus meant, when he said that you should love one another as I have loved you, then we have to watch how Jesus loved. How did he love? Great question. He loved us by calling sin, sin, and then he paid for it. Now think about that for just a minute. He didn't overlook, he didn't say, hey, that's okay. Oh, hey, I got you. It's no big deal. In fact, he said, that is a big deal, and we, I can't accept that, but I'm going to pay for it. You can't pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. And then having paid for it, he declared that we're not condemned. Think about that for just a minute. I've come. I've seen you sinned. You messed up. You broke the law. You didn't do what was expected of you. I got this. But I also don't condemn you. And that's that's an amazing thing that Jesus does that many of us can't do because when we get hurt, when we get broken, when we get sinned against... We want to condemn somebody. We want to vilify that person. We want to make sure everybody understands how bad they were for what they did. And yet Jesus comes and he says, I don't condemn you. I I can't ignore that what you did was wrong, but I also don't condemn you in it. Now, here's what's amazing, because I'm a, a word nerd. When I think of that word condemned, you know, maybe that means sentenced to you or Maybe it means you've received something that you can't undo. But when I think of condemned, I think of a building. When a building's condemned, that means it's not safe to live there, right? You know what Jesus says? It's safe to live with me. I won't condemn you. And in fact, I want to live in you. So I'm not condemning you. In fact, I'm going to renovate you. I'm going to make you a new place. I'm going to make you a new life. I'm going to make you a new person. And what I do is I work from the inside out. The world and religion tries to work from the outside in. I want you to act this way and dress this way and talk this way and go to this place and do this thing. And Jesus said, no, 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 I've got something better. I'm going to start on the inside. I'm going to start working on your heart. 
Because if I can get a hold of your heart, then all the other stuff that really needs to be changed, see, see just bear with me for a second. I'll set this up for you. Our culture and religion, both now and in the past, always tried to conform people to look and to be a certain way, and they tried to correct things that Jesus didn't have a problem with to begin with. And that's why there was always pushback. That's why there's always that dysfunction. And if people had just trusted the Scripture enough to just preach the Word without putting man's doctrines and things into it and trying to enforce things on people, just allowed the Holy Spirit to convict people and change them from the inside out, more and more people would understand the benefits. But when we try to force somebody... It never works well, even if it's the right thing. I mean, think about it when you're disciplining your kids, or think about how it was with you when you were a kid, and somebody made you want to do something. You're going to sit there. Well, what's the first thing you want to do? Get up, right? (laughs) Somebody tells you, you can't do that. What's the first thing you want to do? Oh, I'll show you I can do it. And Jesus understood that because he knows human nature. He's the one that's formed us. And so he never did any of that. He's like, how about I just show you a better way? And we're going to start from the inside and deal with your motives and your hurt and your brokenness. And we'll work that out. And pretty soon, it doesn't matter what you wear. And it doesn't matter this and that. All those things that the church tried to negotiate and enforce and, and try to, and all it did was divide people and create hurt. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if we just go back to God's Word and we watch how Jesus loved, we'll learn how to love. You can't see it anyplace else. You watch how Jesus loved, and you'll learn what he meant when he said, love like I love. Because the people that he loved was pretty impressive. The the way that he lived it out was pretty impressive. Now, here's where we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 1, and I'm going to be in verses 14 through 17 for just a minute. See, this is, this is what helped him when everything else seemed to come unraveled around him, not only because he was God in human form, and yet he was still all human, but here's what John said of him. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. This, he, he had glory. And notice what it says. He was full of grace and truth. Okay? Full of grace and truth. Now, the next time you have a conversation with somebody, just so you can catch their attention, if somebody brings up the name Jesus, you can say, yeah, He was full of it. And when they go, yeah, he was full of grace and truth. (laughs) But this morning, I want you to be full of it. Not what you think you're full of, but I want you to be full of grace and truth. Look what else it says. John bore witness of him, and he cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, or he spoke about, he who comes after me. He is preferred before me, for he was before me. And look at this. And of his fullness... What was he full of? Grace and truth. And of his fullness, we have all received, that's you and that's me, and grace for grace. Think about that. Everything you messed up at, you got grace. And when you needed more grace, what did he give? Grace. How could he continue to give more grace? Because he was full of it. Now think for just a minute of the people you've met that claim to be religious or Christians or spiritual, 
Did it feel like they were full of it? But maybe not grace and truth? (laughs) And yet we have right here on one of the highest authority, I mean, John actually walked, talked, saw, sat with, ate with, lived with Jesus. He saw how the man loved him. Look what he says. We received from him grace upon grace. We didn't deserve it, and it came out of him so natural because he was full of it. He had no problem speaking grace. He had no problem speaking truth. Look what this, he goes on to say, he he makes a contrast here. He says, of his fullness we all received, that's all of us. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Who gave the law? Moses. But grace and truth came through Now, how do you want to live? Do you want to live under the law? Or would you like to live in grace and truth? I choose grace and truth. I don't know about you. Because the law has punishment. The law can be, in fact, the epistles, the the scriptures say, the letter of the law kills. It's designed to punish you. It's there as a taskmaster. Think about that. Telling you, you done wrong, and you're going to pay for it. That's what the law was for. And yet Jesus came. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to be grace and truth. I came to have the fullness of grace and truth. Man gave law. And yes, it came through God. And it was for a specific time, but men perverted even what God gave. And so he knew what we needed the most, and that was grace, and that was truth. And so I want to show you this little demonstration this morning for us, for the sake of the church. And, and here's, the, here's, the, here's the issue, is that if there's grace and truth, and that Jesus was full of it, the hard part for us is that depending on your background and your personality and your experience in life, you tend to lean one way or the other. Right? And I, I, really, uh, I really like truth except when I want to hear grace. When I mess up, I don't want truth. I want grace. <laughs> but Jesus understood the tension. And if you could think about, uh, you know, that old tug-of-war game, imagine if you're the rope. You've got truth on one side and grace on one side pulling on you. And this is where we are in the world today, church. As Christians, as disciples, we have a hard time. We're facing the tension of this is what God says and this is what the world is wanting. And there's this constant tension and one is always pulling on us and the world doesn't understand that we're supposed to be both. You see, the popular culture says, if you don't agree with me, you hate me, and now we can no longer be friends. But we can be full of grace and truth. And he didn't say it was supposed to be in balance. Well, last time you you told a little truth, so this time you got to use a little grace. He said he was the fullness of both. And so when you have grace and truth, and they're poured out into the fullness of Jesus Christ, they become something different, something unique, that all of a sudden we understand he wasn't just partially made up of it, but he was actually full of grace and truth. 
Now what's interesting is I wish I could bring you up here to see this, but you can't all fit up here. Is that if you would get down on a level and look, the fluid is actually in a small dome taller than the lip of the container. Would you say that that's full if it's actually taller than the lip of the container? Right? He's not half full of, of grace and half full of truth, right? He's full of grace and truth. How about you this morning? Which way do you tend to lean? Some of you grew up with the uh, tough love, <laughs> truth people. Some of you grew up with the, hey, it's okay, it's no harm, no foul, all grace person. But what we really need if we're going to exist and make a difference in this world, especially the way that we're seeing it now, is we have to deal with the tension of the fullness of being both. And it, it doesn't look the same when you're both. Because we want to go this way, or we want to go this way. We want to, and yet he's like, we've got to learn how to do both. And it is a lifestyle, and it is a, a way of looking at things. How do you do that? He's going to show us through the Scripture today to help us understand that we can't just balance this out. We can't just be this, this type of thing. It's, it's the fullness of us, and it's, and it's difficult. I'm telling you that right up front this morning. Balancing grace and truth is difficult because it has a constant tension because it's unfair, and it's inconsistent, and it doesn't always make sense, and it's not popular. And we crave all those things. We want things to make sense. We want things to be balanced. We want things to be fair. But I, I'm going to tell you right now, you think that you want things fair, but you don't want things fair. Because if you want things fair, then that means that you get what everybody else gets. Now, how many of you, when you got a raise at work, said, that's not fair. I want it split up among all the rest of my coworkers. Anybody? How many of you got a new vehicle and said, oh, wait a minute, I know some people that didn't get a new vehicle. I need to buy some for them too. Because that would be fair. And so this, this word, especially today, this is a hot button, Right? of let's all be fair, we've all got to share, and you can call it socialism, you can call it whatever political mess that you want to call it, but I'm telling you this, the fullness of grace and truth isn't fair, and it isn't balanced, and it isn't consistent, and it's not easy, that's what makes it so hard that sooner or later we're going to tend to lean to one side or the other, whichever makes us feel more comfortable. And depending on the situation, you're going to jump from one side to the other, Right? When you're in a sticky situation, you want somebody to speak to you truth, but when it gets really bad and there's punishment, you want grace. And then I don't deserve that. I don't deserve you to treat me like that. Well, maybe you do. Because that would be fair. That would be balanced. But that is not easy, and that's not what he was. You see, he stayed in that constant tension because that's what he came to. He was completely... God and yet completely human. That's the first tension right there. He's 100% God, 100% human. I don't understand that. 
but he was. And then he came to a world, and he was completely sin-free into a world full of sin, another tension. And he got thrust into situations all the time where people were looking to him, what is he going to do? He didn't ask it. He didn't step on the planet and say, I am now the universal judge. I'll determine what's right and what's wrong. In fact, there's very few places where he steps up and says, that's wrong. And that's right. But there's all kinds of places where he steps in and speaks truth and speaks grace. It's amazing. From the very get-go of who he was and how he set things up, you see, he comes and he calls a bunch of very different people together. And, and at the risk of stepping on some toes or maybe bending a nose this morning, I'll just tell you up front, I'm about to say this. Some of you can't follow Jesus because you're worried about your reputation. And yet Jesus never worried about his reputation. He just let his life prove itself. But some of you are worried about your reputation, either good or bad. And that's what's keeping you. See, Jesus never guarded his reputation. It's amazing that all of a sudden he's calling all these people. And then one day he sees a tax collector named Matthew. Now, if you don't read the Bible very much, that's fine, because I'm going to fill you in. Tax collectors were actually Jews who cheated on their own people to bring money to the Romans. And the only way they made money was to extort money out of people. That's how they got rich. So if you owed $28, they said that you owed $38, and then they kept the excess. And they were so hated that they had an actual separate group for themselves that they would say, there are sinners and then there's tax collectors. Now, come on, you know this as well. How often do you think, oh, man, I love the IRS? They have their own separate place, don't they? And it's like murderers, <laughs> tyrants, uh, all that, and tax collectors, right? And he said, no, no, no. Matthew, I want you to be part of us. And the rest of his group are saying, dude, come on. Even the sinners don't eat with the tax collectors. And he's like, well, then you're going to hate this because we're going to his house. Isn't that funny that he didn't, he didn't puff up and say, well, maybe we need to do this in secret. And, and Matthew, could you meet me um, like at this out-of-the-way place so that, you know, I'm kind of starting a ministry and this is pretty important. And I don't want people to think that, you know, oh, no, hey, don't. I, I love you, man. I love you, but I just can't be seen with you. Isn't it funny he didn't try to guard his reputation? Hey, Simon. Matthew's getting real worried because Simon is a zealot, which means that he's a Jew that kills tax collectors. And the rest of the group who are fishermen are saying, uh, this is a problem. <laughs> Do you know what Simon does? Mm-hmm. And you know what Matthew does? Mm-hmm. And you want them together? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> and I don't know how Matthew and Simon slept, but I bet you with one eye open for a while. I bet you they weren't best of friends. 
But isn't it interesting that Jesus, he called those group of people, and then as he encountered them, all these great stories that you've heard. He's walking one day, and he sees this woman at a well in Samaria. A, another tension point, because Samaritans weren't even considered real people because they were Jews that had married another tribe, and they were half-breeds. And Jesus walks up to this woman that he shouldn't have been talking to because she's alone, he's alone, and she's getting water at an odd time of the day for a specific reason. He says, can I have some water? She said, sure. And they begin this conversation, and Jesus does the unthinkable. Why don't you go get your husband? I don't have a husband. Yeah, I know. You've had four. And the man you're living with now isn't your husband. Who does that? (laughs) Jesus does. But isn't it interesting that she didn't run away, she didn't call him names, she didn't feel humiliated. He somehow said this in a way that she understood, hey, I know who you are. And this is where I think we have to get the picture. See, you struggle with relationships. That's why you've had four husbands. And things aren't going well with the fifth because you're not even married. But I'm telling you that I'm the answer to what you're thirsty for. And after that, she runs into the village and begins to say something incredible. Come and meet a man who's told me everything I ever did. Think about that for just a minute. And she's excited. She runs in and begins to tell people, I just met this guy. Now, think about that. He just revealed to this woman that he's the Messiah, that he is the chosen one, that he is God that's come to rescue them. He just revealed this to her. How about the woman caught in adultery? Drag her out. All the city gathers around. They've probably known this woman, seen this woman, and all of the men are saying the same thing. Jesus, the law demands that we stone her. And he's like, yep, you're right, it does. And everybody begins to pick up rocks. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. I would hope that you've never seen it or heard about it. But depending on the, the way it was done, it's one of the most brutal ways to die next to crucifixion. In some customs, they would actually bury a person up to their neck and then they would hurl stones at them, hitting them in the head. But when it was a hurried case, they would just throw the person onto the ground and everybody would pick up a good-sized rock and they would just almost form a line, and as they would walk by, they would just hit them in the head. Until they stopped moving. He's like, go ahead, get your rocks. And I bet you his disciples are saying, whoa. He said, but I want the person to start first, the one that's never sinned. In fact, all you guys, I want you, whoever hasn't ever looked at a woman with lust in his eyes, I want you to start. 
Those of you that never wanted to sleep with a woman that looks like her, I want you to start. Those of you that have never had issues with this, those of you that don't struggle with any of this sin, I want you to go ahead. You start with, you start this, this process. Go ahead, start it. I bet you there was some tension there. And the story says that from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones. And that's not the end of the story. He looks down at this woman that was obviously caught, obviously guilty, and if you've read the story, you know what he says. Has no one judged you? Notice he's talking to her. He didn't just walk away like he's this triumphant judge. He's actually engaging her with conversation, which he shouldn't be doing. (laughs) And here's where truth kicked in. See, the grace was anybody that thinks that they're better than her, go ahead and start. He says, daughter, leave your life of sin and go, for I do not condemn you. Think about that for just a minute. What hope that should bring to you and to me that have obviously had issues in our life, obviously have been sinners, we have fallen short of God's standards and his mercy, and yet he says to us, hey, you know what I want? I don't want to see you die. And it's not even about the punishment. I want you to leave your life of sin and have a better life. Not because the sin's okay. I didn't say, hey, it's all right. Try not to get caught next time. That's a whole different, that's not grace. And the truth isn't, I'm the only one here that can judge you, so I'm going to kill you. That would have been fair but he didn't. Leave your life of sin and I don't condemn you. You see, we we can't let go of these two things. And there's so many more stories. The, The Bible is just rich with it. See, when we want grace, we want to let go of truth. But we can't because God is saying, here's what is true. Here's how you've got to live. Here's here's how you're supposed to treat people. Here's what you need to do with your morality. Here's how you need to have your ethics. Here's why you need to, to be accountable. Why? Because sin is destructive and I don't want it to get a hold of you. It's not so that you can prove a point to anybody. It's not so we can win arguments. I don't want that mess in you. Why do you need truth? Because sin will eat your life up and I don't want that for you. I don't want it to get a hold of you. That's why we need to do truth. That's why we've got to hang on to truth. But we also can't let go of grace because, let's be honest, sin has already got us. It's already had its way. And grace is the only way back home. It's the only way back to the Father. Grace is the only way that we're going to know that we've connected or be able to reconnect with God in relationship. You can serve him without having a relationship, and that's not what he wants. He wants to reconnect with you as a relationship, as father. And I don't know how your father was, but I can tell you this. Jesus and God are not like your human dad. I want you to have a relationship with me. 
I don't want you to just cower in fear. And I don't want you to just think that I overlook everything that you do. I can't overlook it because I'm pure and I'm holy. But I'm also showing you I don't want that thing to get a grip on you. Your sin doesn't affect me, but it drastically affects you. And that's the truth that you need to understand. But the grace is you don't have to die for it. In fact, as I started out, he said, hey, I'm going to take it out of the equation. I'm going to pay for it. I'll pay for it for you so it doesn't cost you. And there's this tug of war, especially in our world today, of changing values and changing morality and, and even within the church of what is true and what is not true. And, and, and it's amazing to me that We've lost so many battles on both sides where we've let go of truth and it's damaged who we say Jesus is and what truth is all about and places where we've let go of of grace and we've erected huge towers of truth to, to look down on and punish. And it costs us every time. Every time we let go of one or the other, it's going to cost us. And you probably know it in your family. Think about it. In your family, when you were growing up, there was probably one side or the other, unless you grew up bad cop, bad cop in your house. I don't know. But there was probably someone that was a little more grace-based, and there's probably someone a little more truth-based, right? And the truth-based person was probably the one that doled out the punishment, and the grace person was probably the one that pulled you into their lap later and said, hey, it's... It's okay. And if you haven't had either of those, then I want to remind you that you can find both of those in Jesus this morning. And what a refreshing, refreshing experience you could have to maybe know truth for the first time and maybe know grace. For, I mean, real grace. Not man-made grace, but real grace for the first time. The kind of grace that doesn't overlook your sin and yet says, I'll take care of that. I see this playing out in my life, and, and I'm so thankful. I was thinking today, as I went out my front door and I saw pink chalk on it from my grandson, I can either look at that and think, what am I going to do with this kid? Maybe I just won't let him play with chalk anymore. And yet I know he loves playing with chalk. He loves to rub it all over him. He loves to eat it. He loves to... He wants to draw on the cars. He wants to draw on the house. He wants to... All the things that our beautiful, bright first grandchild didn't do any of. He wants to stand on the tables. He wants to... Or I can look at that chalk and say, I am blessed to have grandchildren. And that I see their actions. But what does it take for me to get a washcloth and wipe it off and say, I got that? The truth is, yep, he wrote on the door. Truth is, he's not supposed to write on the door. Grace is, I'm not going to 
keep him from that activity for the rest of his life because he wrote on the door. Maybe that's not what you've experienced in your life, but I'm here to tell you that in Jesus Christ, you can find the fullness of both of those that creates an uneasy tension in us because we've, we've known reward and we've known punishment. And some of you this morning, like I said, you're so worried to go to him and to fully give your life because you say, you don't understand what I've done. He does understand all that you've done. He's already seen it. And he already paid for it. And that is the truth. And the grace is he's still saying, I still want you to come to me. I still want to be in your life. And there's some of you that you only knew grace, that you never got punished for anything. It just seemed like I just kind of found my way. But then you found out that when you just live by grace, trouble finds you anyway because the world doesn't exist with hyper grace where you can just do what you want, when you want, with whomever you want without consequences. And you face it hard and you sometime you would wish, I wish someone had told me, I think about my life growing up, and I had friends. This is so strange. God was so good to me, even before I ever got saved. I can look back and see it now. I had friends that didn't have curfew. I had friends that parents didn't check up on them. I'm thinking, man, it must be nice to not have to be paranoid of my mom checking up on me. But I know me. I know what I'd be doing. (laughs) In fact, I know what I did. And then as I got older, you know what I realized? My mom wanted to know where I was at. My mom wanted to make sure I was home safe. My mom wanted to make sure that I was where I was when I said I was going to somebody's house and I wasn't there. I got busted for it. Not because she hated me, but because we know that the truth is a guardian and grace is a guardian of our lives. And without either one, without boundaries, we find ourselves in trouble. We cannot let go of grace or truth, church. And it's hard for some of you. You are so hard-pressed to, to actually speak truth. And, and it has to be the right kind of truth. And you don't have to water it down. And, and please don't be self-righteous about it. But it is a tug of war, especially in the culture that we're in today. You see, they say that you have to pick you got to choose. Are you going to be grace or are you going to be truth? And I'm here to tell you we've got to do both. And it's not easy and it's not comfortable and it's not fair and it's not consistent. And it's definitely not easy. But Jesus says in direct response to the culture, you can't let go. You've got to hang on to both of them. There's going to be people that need your grace and you can't let go of it. And there's going to be people that need your truth and you can't let go. In fact, there's people that need both at the same time, like the woman caught in adultery, like the woman at the well, like so many times where Jesus would even say to one of his own disciples, Peter, you don't get it. And you standing in front of me shows me that you don't get it. Get behind me. And yet, didn't kick him out of the club. It told him the truth. told him, you're going to be tried three times, Peter. You say you've got all this faith, but I'm just telling you, that faith is going to be tested again and again and again. 
but I'm not going to forget you. Just because you failed me, I'm not going to forget you. In fact, I'm going to go looking specifically for you. He told him the truth, and he followed it up with grace. You see, if Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth, that's what the Scripture says, he was full. He was the person of grace and truth. No wonder crowds were drawn to him. Right? No wonder he could sit down with drunkards and not get drunk. No wonder he could sit down with prostitutes and not fall into lust. No wonder he could sit with tax collectors and not become a cheat or a thief and did not make them feel like they were beneath him. Because that incredible tension of grace and truth is attractive. It's just so hard for us to understand, like I said, because we're growing up in a culture that says, no, you've got to choose. And Jesus said, no, you've got to hang on to them both. But if he's the embodiment of, of grace and truth, then the church is his body, and we are the best expression that Jesus is ever going to see for people around us. And we've got to hang on to those things. We can't just be truth in your face, no grace people. And we can't just be, oh, truth doesn't matter, times have changed. All grace people, that's not showing love. Love is the combination of both. And I cannot agree with somebody's lifestyle or their choices and still fully love them. That's grace. Doesn't mean I like it. Doesn't mean I'll join them in it. Doesn't mean I'm going to encourage them to keep doing it. But it also means that they are not beneath me. That they are somebody that God has called me to speak into their life to be a relationship, a connection point. Somebody that I should be glad to see, regardless of where they've been or what they've done. Even if I never struggled with that thing. We've got to get comfortable with the mess of this. There's mess in this. There's mess in the ministry of Jesus Christ. There's mess in dealing with people caught in sin and, and the unfairness, the inconsistency, and all the stuff that goes with it. And, and yet we can maintain our peace when we have grace and truth. But I'm telling you, if you let go of either, you're not going to have much peace. There's still going to be a tug of war. But you've given up one side and you'll just be drugged along one way or the other. It's like that container this morning. The world is going to constantly pull that out of us. And as I said during worship, the reason we need church, the reason we need small groups, the reason we need to have regular times, not just on Sunday, times to pray and to praise, is we have to be refilled with grace and truth. Read the scriptures and see that Jesus, on a regular basis, went away by himself to pray, to get refilled, to get into God's presence. Because it pulls it out of us. If you're dealing with people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. People, we can see the incredible, incredible kindness of people. And we can see the incredible amount of destruction that we can wreak on each other. And somehow in between those, God has positioned the church to say, you're supposed to be me on the planet to walk into the mess. When everybody's walking away, I want you to walk into the mess. And, and I bring you back to the woman in adultery. Look at this. 
The guys dropped their rocks and walked away. Who was the only one left standing? He didn't leave her alone. Right? Now you tell me the ending of that story. Do you think that she got looks from the people that saw what she did and saw what happened that day, that her reputation hadn't been changed? Even if, even if most of the people had heard, now she's sitting half naked on the ground. Who knows what clothing she was if she was drugged out of the bed in adultery. Do you think that she was changed in a small town? And yet, Jesus didn't leave her. In fact, he's like, has everybody left you? Has no one judged you? I'm still here. I still see you. I'm still for you. I'm not for your sin, but I'm for you. What a difference, right? It's too easy to turn on our heel and put our back to that shamefulness. But it's the grace inside of Jesus that made him stick to the spot and say, I'm still here. You haven't embarrassed me. And that's tough. But can I tell you, that's going to speak louder than any of our sermons out there in the world. That's going to speak louder even than service projects. The world understands needs and causes and all kinds of stuff now, but that's not, that doesn't mean you have a Christian value. You know what it means? It means that we've got to stand firm when it comes to being able to stand in grace and truth. Not in a balance, but standing in both of them. To be the fullness of it, and that is difficult. But that's what he's called us to. And it's a trial and error, and we're going to fail time and again, but that's what's going to help us. That When we fail to give truth, we're going to go, oh, man, because we'll see that without the truth, they'll continue in their mess. And we'll see that without the grace, we can sever a relationship, and now you can't even speak truth to them anymore because now you've cut them off. Jesus didn't come to cut off the world. In fact, he, I came not to judge the world. Isn't that amazing? We need truth, and we need grace, and the reality is the church is at its best when it will embrace grace and truth, and we refuse to let go of either. We need to be the dispenser of both. I was watching a, a uh, online church service this week. Broke my heart. conservative church that understands this balance of grace and truth where the pastor said I want to have a quick time of testimony and I'm going to ask this couple to come up and share and two men came up from a gay lifestyle they said we keep coming back to this church we've been to other churches in the town that support our gayness and affirm it. But we don't feel like we're getting the truth of God's word. Oh, they love us and they tell us everything's great and grand and nobody's doing anything, but we know that there's truth. (laughs) And this church tells us the truth and loves us anyway. And not just that, Maybe that's a hot button out there today. But what about people 
whose lives are not cleaned up yet? What about people who are so very different from us? What about people that have issues and problems we can't even fathom to understand? What about people that live in such disarray that we think, my God, can they hear truth and be loved anyway? I hope so. I hope so. So I encourage you, if you are a primarily grace person, I challenge you, get a hold of truth as well. It's, it's, it's going to be the benefit of love. And if you are a hard truth, I grew up with a hard truth church, then I'm telling you, you've got to lay hold of some grace. We can't ignore either one. And it creates that, that tug of war within us. And you're like, well, how do we know which one to dispense, Pastor? How do, we, how do we know when to give what? That's a great question. By loving the person, what do they need right then and there? Because if love is the basis, right? That's what this is about. Loving, loving requires grace and truth. If we love them, then what do they need to hear right now? They don't just need grace to say, hey, what you're doing is okay. But they also don't need to hear the truth that you're going to hell and God can't stand that. They need the fullness of both of those. And some of you are in situations right now, you should be so thankful for God's grace. And some of you, you need a healthy dose of truth so that you won't continue those mistakes and continue that pain. And the truth is, there are standards. And the truth is, you can be better than that. And the truth is, He'll love you even when you fall flat on your face. But He's not going to give up, and He's not going to go away. That truth is going to keep pursuing, and grace is right along with it. It's the grace that gives us the strength to make the change. I've never been truthed into change. How about you? came out of the medical field and I took care of a person that was smoking through a stoma in their neck. I mean, you think they don't understand what smoking does to their body? Do you think that truth, if I said, hey, you know, it's really having a bad effect on your body, you think they're going to quit when they've got oxygen up their nose and they're smoking through their throat? You think the truth is going to change them? When we speak truth, when there needs to be grace, and when we speak grace, when there needs to be truth, we're disconnecting the relationships. And I can't tell you how to work it out. There's no formula. That's why it's inconsistent. (laughs) I don't know how Jesus can say to that woman, it's okay, leave your sin but I don't condemn you. And then stand in front of the Pharisees and say, you're keeping people out of the kingdom and I am ashamed of you. That's amazing. But he knew when to use which. So I want to ask you this morning if you'd stand up with me. This is going to be close to the heart, so here we go. Some of you, you got to start right in your family. 
you've been the staunch truth, 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 and you're wondering how come this doesn't, you've been nagging, you've been telling him, you've been trying to get him to church, you've been talking to him, you've been slipping him scriptures, you've been truth, 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 maybe, just maybe, maybe it's time for some grace to help him have relationship with you. And some of you, there's been no truth. It's just been, well, they're going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. I, you know, I got to be their friend. I got to, and I'm telling you, maybe they need some truth from you, loving truth. Say, hey, that's not okay, but I'm with you. I'll stand beside you. I'm going to help you through this. Because if we can't work this out in our families, how are we ever going to work it out in a world that's coming apart the seams? I want to pray with you and for you this morning before we go and just encourage you, hey, you're going to start to feel that tension if you'll actually step up to this. Notice that perfection is not what he, it's just fullness of truth and grace. So bow your heads with me this morning if you would, Father. God, there's some people here this morning that they need the truth that they've been relying way too heavily on grace and their lifestyle does not match what the Bible says. Remind them that you don't condemn them, and neither do we. But the truth is they, they need to either follow you or, or not. They need to make up their mind. Are they going to live like a disciple, a follower of Jesus, or are they going to live like the world? Lord, and there's some people here that have been oppressed by truth. It's been all the rules and the regulations and the dress codes and the thou shalts and the shall nots. And they have no relationships. It's just this judgment. Lord, I pray that you would overflow them with incredible grace this morning and allow them to understand that all those outward works doesn't bring them closer to you. The only thing that draws them close is a broken heart and a spirit that's ready to give in. So God, as we get ready to go our way, every last person, Lord, God, as we go out and we face the world, help us to have the, the bravery, the courage to start in our own family with, with what's going on. We know that there's probably an element of either one of those that's driving our children or our parents or our brother or our sister away where we, where we couldn't stand the tension of grace and truth and we made a decision. And it's cost us. God, help us to be courageous enough to love in the fullness of grace and truth with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with the people we meet in our community. It'll be attractive. There's a reason people throng to Jesus even when he wasn't preaching. And I believe that we can have that same effect that people will know that we love them and speak the truth to them at the same time. So would you give courage, give strength, give clarity, give, give truth and grace to us today, Lord. Help us to hold both and never let them go. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.